Welcome to our latest installment of the Evolution Exchange Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm James Price, Senior Cybersecurity Recruitment Consultant here at Evolution. Today, I'll be your host. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the importance of migrating to the cloud, why and how should it be done. I'm fortunate enough to be joined by a fantastic panel, so let's kick off with some introductions. David, do you want to kick us off with a brief introduction, please? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm David Cross. I'm the uh, CISO and the Senior Vice President for the Oracle SaaS Cloud, right? And I've been heavily involved at the major cloud providers over the past 10 years, uh, so that many of you have known me. I'm continuing with my mission to help making the cloud applications and data secure for businesses around the world. Really? Thanks, David. I'm Matthew. All right. My name is Matthew Klein. I'm a senior cybersecurity consultant at a big four consulting firm. And my real passion is helping organizations transform the way that they secure their business. And a huge part of that nowadays is especially the cloud, how they migrate to the cloud, the configuration of the cloud, and what cloud providers they use. So this is going to be a very interesting conversation. I'm really looking forward to being on this panel. Brilliant. Thanks, Matthew. And Randy? Um, hi, I'm Randy Marchani. I'm the CISO at Virginia Tech. And uh, I've been in doing the, in the cybersecurity business for 31 years. I'm one of the original SANS Institute instructors, and I still teach classes for the SANS Institute. And um, at a university, I like to tell people I'm the CISO of a small city. Um, and so cloud computing is, is really one of these uh, things that, that uh, universities and educational institutions here in the U.S. have adopted. And so this is one of those timely times to talk about cloud and cloud security and data security in the cloud. Absolutely. Cheers, Randy. And finally, Sky. Hello, everyone. It's uh, great to be here with this uh, crowd's really diverse background, academics, uh, big business, uh, consulting. Um, I spent uh, just over 20 years in the Air Force, uh, combat medicine. I did a great deal in cyber and then uh, intelligence. And also, after after that career, I supported, of course, a lot of the consulting firms uh, across the board in defense health, uh, intelligence, nuclear Navy, uh, U.S. Marine Corps, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. And it's been really, really great. Um, it's been I've been fortunate, I think, to have been exposed to so many things in the government um, and uh I've supported, let's see, I've supported 27 agencies in my career, um, and it's been been really good. So I appreciate the invite. No, absolutely. Happy to have yourself, Sky, and obviously the rest of you. So obviously now that we're done with the introductions, let's kick off with some questions. So David, your question to the panel was, what is the greater fear for businesses in their initial migration to the cloud? So David, if you could provide some context around your question, please. Sure. I think a lot of uh, companies and businesses, as uh, they you know migrate from on-premise to the cloud, right? They maybe don't always understand the shared you know responsibility model, right? And because of that, they expect everything to be the same as if it's on-premise, right? And and I think this is where sometimes the confusion, the fears, and the unknowns kind of come into play. That I think sometimes they need a little education and understanding from the cloud providers and the community. Brilliant. Thank you, David. I'm Matthew. So at least in terms of what we see um, for the work that we do, a lot of when we advise on cloud transformation, a lot of the work that we do is focused on establishing what those exact responsibilities are as they as clients will look to transfer to the cloud. Because especially if they're coming from a fully on-premise environment, they're used to being able to have control over every aspect of their IT infrastructure. and part of the benefits of going towards a cloud or hybrid environment is that a lot of those responsibilities get put onto the cloud provider and establishing that up front is key in order to have a successful migration because 
at least as you as you outlined, there's sometimes some some confusion, or there could be some uh, there's some mismanaged expectations in terms of the performance in the environment, the ability to control certain aspects of the environment. Now there are great benefits to this, especially looking at it from the cybersecurity perspective. You're not having to worry about premise security, for example. You're not having to worry about you know where the windows are in the building or um, access control. Do you have man traps in place, etc. You're not having to necessarily worry about that that aspect of it, and also someone else is updating and managing a lot of the key infrastructure for you. But on the other hand, you don't have the same granular control. So will you, will you lead up front in terms of beginning that conversation and making sure we understand and map out specific responsibilities? And it depends on the cloud provider that they're going with and what services they provide or what specific services they're looking to retain. So there's a lot of gray area nuance, but you lead up front with that and you map it all out specifically to manage those expectations and also clearly communicate the benefits and also sometimes the trade-offs. Well, um, one of the things that that you know people don't take into account is is they they try to jump into the pool, you know, right away instead of uh, you know taking uh, little baby steps in, in the shallow end, um, because uh, you know when as has been mentioned before, just because you move your stuff to the to the cloud doesn't mean that you know you can't just ignore what you've done to protect your data. And things like that. The cost of of moving to the cloud is something that that sort of you know you need to to look at very carefully before you move in. Um, you know, if you pay for this service, and and some cloud providers, it's it can be you know a, a little bit of sticker shock when, especially if it's on a on a per use basis. So, you know, the the cost of it, uh, uh, the the tendency to you know move your entire business process. Uh, you know, uh, lock, stock, and barrel into the cloud without, you know, testing the waters first to see what's out there. Um, and a big thing has to do with cybersecurity. A, a lot of times uh, I find people that uh, are moving into the cloud and you ask them about, well, what are you doing to protect the data that you're storing out there? And they say, oh, well, you know, that's the cloud provider's problem. So, no, no, not really. It, it is your problem. And and it's changed because, you know, as as you said, we don't have physical access to that data anymore. Um, but other things that that you know need to be considered, uh, you know, what does the cloud service provider do for you in terms of security? W what if you decide to not, you know, to um, uh, stop your service here? You know, we, we want to move to a different cloud vendor. What do they do with your data? Uh, you know, how long does it take them to get rid of your data if you've switched cloud providers? So little things like that, I think, are are uh, you know a tendency that that businesses are not ignoring, but they're not thinking about it when they should be thinking about it, which is at the beginning. Well, I'm going to kind of use a couple of operational terms um, that these guys really covered, really I think succinctly, um, especially what Matthew was cluing in on, which is um, what I'll, what I'll what I'll use here is disaster recovery and continuity of operations, and that's been a huge paradigm shift for a lot of especially government agencies because. You know, uh, the lack of control, then also the fact that it actually is, it, it's a very difficult thing to wrap their head around. They don't understand quite, a lot of times when you're talking about cloud, they're thinking still legacy mainframe. Like they don't really understand what you're talking about. And when you start to lay it out, then it's, cloud's like a nebulous term, you know, the cloud. And they don't see, you know, the, the storage piece or, um you know, where these things are residing. They, they, you know, now when you start to go into the intelligence agencies and the security, other security services, and depending on the mission set of the agency, then you're going to really have to go in. The, you know, that's when we have 
the authorization or the accreditation process that has to be laid out, things like FedRAMP, where we have specific hosting environments that are pre-vetted, you know, based on contractual language and also based on mission, and it's tiered out. Um, but what uh, Randolph or Randy was stating uh, is the sticker shock, because when you, the more higher tier you are, the more critical your data, clearly there's going to be cost associated with it. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of individuals aren't kind of prepared for because along with the scale comes the economy of scale. And that's not what a lot of times people necessarily look at. They, 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 there's a lot of sticker shock, I think, involved with it because, but once again, the scalability, the uh, capability, that's something that I, I think is, they don't quite have their uh, head wrapped around either because it's a lot more open-ended. Right, because I mean, storage is, I don't like to say infinite, but boy, it seems like we're getting close to that now. It, well, Sky, especially when you mentioned business continuity, um, one of the biggest questions that we see, and it, I'm more on the strategy side, but uh, when you're looking at total disaster recovery or business continuity planning, understanding what you're getting with a cloud service is incredibly important. And that is something that, you know, when a breach will happen, because as we all know here, it is inevitable. It will happen. When you work with clients in, in a incident response setting, understanding who owns what responsibility or understanding who does what is critical in order to be able to, you know, pull logs from the right source in order to get, uh, you know, forensic set professionals have their hands on the information, right? And understanding that at least when it comes to these cloud services, it's not, it's not just, you know, storage somewhere it is ultimately a partnership with your organization and making sure that you're choosing the right partner to provide critical infrastructure for you and understanding who does what in a critical circumstance, you know, when a breach happens. And that's some, that's something that we also are seeing that we're having to do now with our clients because you need to be able to have that instant turnaround time if a worst case scenario happens. Yeah. yeah going along the lines of disaster recovery, um, I think something that that a lot of people you know are starting to realize now is that a lot of the software vendors that we we buy services from they're in the cloud already, and so they're handling your data and your data is in their cloud, uh, you know along those lines. Uh, as a disaster recovery thing, we did a little I call it a a, a mini tabletop where we just kind of were brainstorming around the uh, uh, table. Uh, and we had a, we have student interns here and that and so my my the question I said was, well, we have a lot of we have a lot of of you know services, course management, DNS, all these types of things that are really cloud based. What happens if if our you know university network goes off the net for whatever reason? You know, our primary or secondary links go out, and we can't connect to the net. You know, we have purchasing applications, we have the course management stuff, all these things are cloud-based. And, you know, I was like, is that going to seriously impact how we do business? And we, you know, we're thinking, well, God, you know, we can't get to these guys, we can't get to those services. And then the student intern said, oh, no, I said, you know, uh, you guys, you know, for my course lectures and all that, I would just go home to my apartment and log into the network there and I can get access to the cloud services. And, and, you know, we all kind of like looked at each other and went, duh. But that's something that, that 
that you know you you realize that in that sense going along with what sky was saying that the you know government agencies and, and we're a state university so we're kind of in that state government thing is wrapping their head around that the border doesn't really exist anymore um you know i can get to those services but i don't have to be inside the university network the only thing i need to be able to carry is my identity authorization you know the authentication piece which a lot of times in two-factor you can have these remember me's you know for a certain number of days so I can still get to the cloud services, but just not through the university network. And that was an eye-opener, you know, for us from a security standpoint, like, you know, well, who else can get to that? But also from a disaster recovery standpoint. Cheers, Randy, and thank you for that question, David. So next up, we have Matthew's question, which is, with an increasing amount of organizations looking to migrate to the cloud and many companies being founded as cloud-native, how do we mitigate risk associated with critical business infrastructure being provided by only a handful of service providers? So, Matthew, if you could provide some context around your question, please. Of course. So, when we think of cloud platforms, we think of AWS, GCP, and Azure as the main ones that most businesses will look at. There's obviously it's a massively growing industry. There will be boutique providers um, at you know state level, national levels within countries. However, those are the main ones that most businesses will gravitate towards because they provide the most nines of uptime or you know they have the best offerings of products or just brand bias, whatever you want to say. But the reality is, is that as we consolidate more of our critical business infrastructure with only a handful of service providers, that opens us up to risk. What if one of them has a critical infrastructure incident and that knocks off data centers and entire geography offline? Obviously, they're built to have some level of redundancy, some level of fallover. However, when I think of an example, um, if some of you may recall that Facebook had a relatively significant outage uh, back in October 2021, where all, all of Meta's platforms were knocked offline for several hours. Which, of course, in most parts of the world outside North America, they're reliant on Meta, Facebook, WhatsApp as a way of staying in touch and communicating. And that sort of illustrates the amount of risk that's involved where you have you know, uh, Facebook service providers that were providing their infrastructure got knocked offline, could be easily because of misconfiguration got pushed out. I can't remember the full story, but that's an example of we're putting all of our eggs in one basket here. How do we mitigate the risk associated with that? So I turn it to the panel. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of like, do you really want to put your crown jewels out in the cloud or do you want to keep the crown jewels, you know, close at hand? Uh, do you want to, do you want to, uh, you know, have copies of it? Uh, but another example I was thinking is, uh, I think it was AWS. So a while ago, like they lost their East coast region for a while and, you know, how that impacts. Um, I, I think it really comes down to, uh, you know, what's the, what are you comfortable putting out in the cloud and, and having, you know, available, I mean, it, and the, the risks don't have to be, you know, necessarily cyber. I mean, uh, you know, a plus would be, uh, for instance, the universities out in the Midwest here in the U S right. They, they have a lot of, of, you know, tornado disaster recovery, uh, type things because a tornado, a tornado can wipe out a data center. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, a tornado could wipe out uh, a cloud vendors, uh, you know, data centers as well. So uh, I think it's I think there's some serious, you know, discussions about what type of data should be in the cloud. And that uh, determines the risk. Well, um, you know, digital modernization, as every agency likes to, you know, throw that out there. Uh, I don't think 
any government agency could be considered cloud native. I don't, I don't, I don't believe so. I think that would be, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, oh, no, definitely not. Um, uh, but with, with, uh, industry's help and that, that's primarily, I mean, we, we like to use the term gots, but there really is no gots. I mean, it, it, we, we have accelerators, but those accelerators are enabled by accelerators are enabled by industry. Um, in truth, you know, anything that's, you know, or academia, um, our, 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 our best, our, our, our national laboratories have, you know, are driven by academia, you know, all our innovation lab, and it's important. And that's a hugely important thing, not just, um, in terms of, um, I, I think innovation, but it's also important in terms of, um, security and security innovation. Um, so, um, how can we mitigate risk? I think in, in the government, we we're heavily dependent on the NIST, um, for guidance, um, of course, the NIST is a part of the Department of Commerce. A lot of people don't often think about it that way, but it is. It's driven by um, many of the people that sit on the board of the NIST, or you know, not just academics, but also come out of industry, and that is a really important thing because you know that it's that yeah, that that triad, the the relationship between government and academia, and and uh, and the government uh, government academia and the commercial sector that really uh, drives um, our ability to, I guess, come up with security postures or frameworks um, that we're, we're fond of using um, that, that help us in implementing uh, and mitigating risk. Um, but, but I guess I wanted to throw the, the big buzzword out there, which is um, zero trust architecture. <laughs> that's, that's what we're, that's what we're floating now, even though um, that has been, in the government for a long time, uh, you know, you know, but it's very difficult to implement um, because as the old saying goes, the best way to make something secure is to make it unusable, but that's not really practical. <laughs> we can't, but uh, so, you know, in, in the end, that's uh, the way I think um, we're looking at it from my vantage point as managing risk is through the frameworks um, via, you know, uh, the NIST is not, it's quasi-governmental, right? You know, I, I don't like, it's definitely not an NGO because it's part of the government under the, underneath commerce, but um, it's, it is a, a practice organization and a, pos, a policy driver. Yeah, I think this is a, a great conversation, right? And I think there's no question in anyone's mind is that if people are going to move to the cloud, you know, the reality is everyone is moving to the cloud now. But I think the, the very important point this call out is, is everybody going to be cloud native? No, we're probably at least 10 years away before people, you know, everything's being lifted and shifted uh, and the work is being done. It's going to take 10 plus years before things can fully be cloud native. We look at, we know that, we know that containers, Kubernetes, microservices is the future, but it takes a long time. We can't just refactor an application overnight, especially these large legacy applications. It's going to take 10 plus years. Now, at the same time, is that not to beat up on a, a company like you know, but Microsoft is that should companies be running their Exchange server anymore, right? Compared to the cloud, and look what happened, right? We're not there anymore. You, those are the critical services need to be in the cloud because they can be responded to. They can uh, the threat intelligence, the automation is more than anybody can run on premise by themselves anymore. But with that said, is I think a couple of the, the key points that Matthew raised is that you need to make sure that you're going to have and paying for multiple regions. You may be multi-cloud, just like 
why do people buy AMD and ARM chips? Because they need to have more than just Intel, right, from a price perspective. So I think it's multi-cloud is part of the future. You know, moving to this containerization and other things is part of the future because the microservice is much more resilient, but it will take time. Well, yeah, and I agree with you on that one. It absolutely is going to take time. The interesting thing is, you know, if I put on my aluminum foil hat, now I've got all of my data uh, that that resides with a vendor, Microsoft, Amazon, or whatever, and email and things like that, sensitive emails, you know, uh, business uh, plans, that you know, merger plans, all that type of stuff, student information. You know, that's a privacy issue that we have to, to deal with there. But another big challenge um, comes up with, with um, investigating incidents. Um, you know, uh, as an example, 15 years ago, the biggest cyber, you know, problem that we had was email abuse. Uh, husband, wife, breakup, boyfriend, girlfriend, breakup, harassing emails, you know, go flying all over the place. Well, in, in the early 2000s, we had our own email system. We could look at the logs. We could show patterns of abuse and things like that. As we push stuff out, we have to rely on the... Um, the skill, if you will, the tools that are available for do, to, for doing forensics uh, to be able to piece together, you know, those types of incidents. Doing forensics with, you know, from an application standpoint, containerless, uh, serverless, you know, uh, uh, containers, serverless applications, all of those things are great. How do you do forensics? What type of logging do you get from, from a cloud vendor that you can do to recreate an incident, you know, things like that? So that's that's another you know big big thing that I think is still years away. Uh, you know, re Amazon recently has, has improved it a little bit in terms of what type of logging you get, but in the early years, you know, you would just kind of just throw up your hands. So that is something that we have to worry about, I think, down the road. Great, thanks, Randy, and thanks for that question, Matthew. So our penultimate question today comes from Randy, who asks: Cloud requires specialized training on how to manage it. What type of training, such as security, management, use, etc., is available and used by your organization? So, Randy, if you could provide some context around this question, please. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it is a different type of, you know, oh, I can be a system administrator on a, on a box here, you know, that's that. But being a system administrator of something in the cloud is slightly different. How do I access it? How do I, you know, what type of tools do I have available for me? Um, you know, cloudsecurityalliance.org, which I think is still around, that that had like, you know, what they call 13 uh, points that you should consider in a cloud contract. But, uh, you know, SANS, the, the SANS Institute offers some courses on, on security stuff, CEH and a bunch of other ones are starting to do that. So I was curious, what type of training is available or, or programs do you have for, you know, your, your users and, and your IT users and your general well, um, the type of training is uh, that's a that's a that's a problem. I, I'll I'll break it down into three categories. Uh, federal employees rely heavily on FedVTE, which is um, belongs to now is owned by CISA, is hosted by CISA, um, uh, and uh, the Cyber Infrastructure Security, right underneath underneath the DHS, right. Um, and if we're talking about training in general. If we're talking about commercial training, we do send people that are specific, that have specific needs or skill sets to commercial training. Um, uh, but uh, I, I'm, because we have Oracle on the on this call, I'm gonna. They're the, one of the most difficult uh, things to source is Oracle skill sets. They they come at a premium, <laughs> especially um, uh, something like uh, Top Secret. 
uh, being able to administer that. And, you know, I, I ran into that in a couple of military agencies. Um, but when you get those individuals um, um, there, you want to hold on to them, especially, um, or if you if you have the opportunity to send people to that type of training, it's it's important. Um, the other the other thing um, that I feel um, that we'll see a trend in is that we'll likely um, see the outsourcing of training a lot more. Uh, because de training, developing training, unless you're in academia, is, is we don't have the architecture to do that. Um, we try to attempt to outsource, give that to HR and say, here, it's your problem. You know, um, it's a training issue, it's your problem. But uh, in large corporations, you know, they may have highly developed architectures to do that. But in general, I think most businesses have to outsource that. And it's going to be a cloud-based platform or content delivery system that you're able to, you know, you're able to utilize a virtual training environment um, that's going to get you, you know, uh, CompTIA has, you know, a, a great system. Um, and there's a few others. I mean, ISC Squared has a great system too, but it's CompTIA, I mean, is, is very developed. And FedVTE, because it's not no longer really run or hosted by the government, it's, it, it, is, it is a government platform, but it's run by a commercial sector um, by contract. Well, one thing that I think that uh, thinking about this is is moving to the cloud. If we go back to name your favorite technology, when you moved from you know WordPress or not WordPress, but WordPerfect to Word, right? You, people needed training on that, right? Or to the latest operating system. Everyone used just you know, DOS, and like now we have Windows ninety five, right? Um, but I think the same thing applies to the cloud as well. Is like, hey, if your company is moving to you know AWS or Oracle Cloud, is that it's now understanding the fundamentals of those cloud and the terminology and vernacular for them so that you fully know how to operate it because it's difficult to be secure for your functions in the cloud if you don't understand how that cloud and uh, services and systems work or how they're named because there's slight variance. It's like name your favorite dialects, right? Where there's slight variances, people can make mistakes. And I think that's one of the best practices I would like to recommend. Well, at least in the world of the big four, I think the training uh, training outcomes are a little bit different in terms of what we are looking to looking to accomplish. And so what we do a lot of the time is we gravitate towards going directly to specific large vendors like GCP, AWS, and Azure and doing the official certifications through those vendors um, and for training because part of it on our end as well is ensuring that we have the right creds on hand to go into client engagements with. So it's a little bit of a different use case for the training. However, um, at least personally, I, I have lots of familiarity with CompTIA. Um, that's what I believe is a gives you a great vendor agnostic understanding of cloud security, cloud infrastructure. And I, that would be a good way to give you the vernacular, to give you the understanding, to understand the difference between an on-prem data center versus a cloud-based cloud data storage solution. It, there's... There's a lot in there that I think I would recommend, but in terms of at least the world of consulting, we go directly to vendors to get the creds because part of what we do as well is showing that we can partner with large organizations that, you know, when you're dealing with significant multi-billion dollar global and global companies, they're really only looking towards the large cloud service providers that have the global reach, that have data centers in every region of the world and every hemisphere and and, and every geo that they're going to be wanting to do business in. And so a lot of the time we get questions about those. And so our training heavily will gravitate around those. Hence why we're more vendor specific in terms of the training that we look to pursue. Thanks, Matthew. And thanks again for that question, Andy. So finally, we have Sky's question for today, which asks, what are the impacts of scalability 
reliability, and the economy of cloud. So Sky, if you could provide some context around your question, please. Well, I, I wanted to kind of, I, I know it's extremely broad, but um, basically I wanted to kind of like briefly explore, you know, the, the impacts on, on scalability um, and the, in the line of business um, and also um, kind of how we do business and maybe in the realm of agility. Um, and that's pretty much it. Well, I think the, when you think about the scalability, the thing that comes to my mind is, you know, two things is what I mentioned before is really is becoming cloud native, right? And the microservices, you know, architecture, whether it's Istio or, you know, other types of, of technologies and, and frameworks, right? That's critical because we have to move to that, that, that model because the legacy monoliths, right? That is, you're not going to have the scalability. You're not going to be able to just to, to scale out. You're going to have a lot of the limitations. The other element is certainly, as everyone knows, you know, with DevSecOps and that model culture, it's the automation, right? Is that anytime you have more human uh, is the is the control, right? They make mistakes, right? Just like Jeffrey Snover said with PowerShell, right? When you have humans, you'll make mistakes. The more you can automate is you can scale. And I think of the two uh, the two major items that come to my mind when you think about scaling in the cloud. David, you took the words right out of my mouth. In, 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 ter in terms of the value of the scalability of the cloud, of course, it's allowing businesses to scale their operations at unprecedented rate. And in terms of reliability, you, you see services that provide several levels of nines greater than what most organizations could hope to achieve in their own on-prem data centers. And even then, in terms of uh, patching, updates, there's just basic elements of the infrastructure that will just be better tended to by having a cloud-specific provider, a you know, GCP, AWS, Azure, running your backend for you. That's just the reality of it. And then the tying with tools as well to automate certain aspects of it, because as David said, the more touch points you have with the humans in the process, you know, I hate to say it, but typically we are the failure points. The majority of the breaches that I've ever dealt with in my career have been because someone clicked on an email somewhere, or there's what there's some user account that was not deactivated according to policy, or that it was not automatically deactivated, and credentials got leaked through some other exploit, and then that account got in, it had more privileges than it should have, and then you know you have a dump of a database, and then that gets leaked online somewhere, and then all of a sudden you're in front of the New York Times. So. The, the benefit of the cloud is by taking a lot of those controls, a lot of those concerns out of the hands of businesses. And so that will reduce reputational risk, reduce um, reduce lost productivity, but also you just get the scalability of just being able to infinitely, almost infinitely, or as Randy said earlier on, you know, seemingly infinitely, you know, acquire as many resources as you need. Of course, there is the one-two punch of, well, the more you consume, the more you will pay. But at least you're not going to have to wait for an additional data center to be built out within your premises. Oh, and we've run out of space on, on in our original data center. All right, guess we got to go find a new one. Got to go build that, right? And that takes months to do. So, in terms of this question, you know, we ultimately most businesses would likely better off being majority cloud-based. And you know, as David said, it's going to take a while for us to get there, but it's just better in so many different facets. Of course, I can go back to my original question of, is it really that great putting all of our eggs in one basket? But the reality is, is that was the basket the eggs were originally in all that great to begin with? Well, you guys got me thinking about a bunch of things. Um, no, number one, uh, uh, automation is good, but you need to make sure that 
what it does is correct or else it will it will compound the mistakes much quicker um and as as a you know as a pen tester i would l always love to feed automated uh, uh you know tools to uh, wildly divergent inputs to see what it does um you know if especially in the manufacturing thing you know if, if something's moving from this part to this part feed it data to move it you know to the extremes of its that of, of its uh you know ability um but two things popped up so one thing that's hitting the educational institutions here in the economic side is uh, you know, Google has told us that uh, the days of free storage are over. And, uh, you know, starting this summer, uh, they're going to start charging for a lot of the storage that used to be for free. And so that, and it's it's a substantial, you know, shock uh, to a lot of us. And and so, you know, like what Matthew's saying is, we need to be really keep, keep an eye on, the, on that price uh, of what's going to happen. Um, but one thing that that you guys said that started making me think about it uh, a little bit about zero trust. Uh, every university has been in a zero trust environment since the beginning. When we first connected to the internet in the early eighties, we just assumed the network was hostile and, and we have to be open. And so because we're open, we assume the bad boys are, are in our network. But then I, I started thinking, you know, cloud is, as we start moving a lot more of our data into the cloud, that means a lot of data has got to be pumped all over the place. And so what happens to our network infrastructure at our end? The cloud vendors have, you know, super high, uh, you know, fast uh, 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 backbones, if you will. Uh, you know, here at, at Virginia Tech, we have a 100 gig backbone and a 100 gig connection to the net. But, you know, what happens when, and, you know, the, the research universities in the next five years are, are, you know, ramping up to 500 gig connections. Well. I, I think corporate is going to have to move in that direction as well because you're just going to have these massive data dumps and it's just going to take time to, to punch that through. If you have workers at home, like we, like, you know, some of us are here, uh, what happens, you know, if you got a one gig connection or not even that at your house, how does that impact your ability to do, do work? Is that going to force you to go back to your, you know your office if you will because you have a better network cheers randy and thanks for the question sky thank you all for your questions and answers some really good insights hope you've all enjoyed today's conversation i'd like to thank the four of you again for joining me today outside of your busy schedules we'll leave it there for now this has been the evolution exchange podcast thank you for listening